Well, our scripture reading this morning comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 11, starting in verse 7, and we will be reading all the way to chapter 12, verse 14. I invite you to pick up your Bibles at home, open them up, uh, or follow along in the screen. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, starting in verse 7. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and the one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Amen. Well, before we hear from Pastor Barton, please join me in prayer. Father, as Pastor Steve opened this service, we want to declare it a celebration. And God, while it's difficult to maybe find things to celebrate, God, we want to celebrate that Jesus, you are still our King that you still sit rightly on the throne, that you have seen all of these things and you have seen them pass. And God, we just want you, Holy Spirit, to push out our fears, to push out our anxieties, and for you, Holy Spirit, to move into our hearts. And God, there is much to celebrate. We thank you for Marina. And we celebrate alongside her as she prepares to get married. 
And God, we thank you for the legacy that she has left here at Central. We thank you for the many friendships and the conversations and the impact that she has made. God, she will be dearly missed. But we are a big family. And we know that we will see her again. And we just pray a special blessing over her and Lance. God, may you guide them. May you bless their marriage. May you give them a fruitful and happy life. And God, we want to continue to lift up all those who are on the front lines right now for our healthcare workers, for those who are in the grocery stores, God, who continue to sacrifice. We pray for your healing, we pray for your mercy. And God, we pray for your provision. God, we ask that you would heal this great world. And God, we ask for ultimately that your will would be done. And so we give all of these things to you, God, knowing that you are worthy of honor, of glory. And God, we will continue to see your kingdom built despite what happens. And so we thank you that we can put our hope and our trust in you here this morning. And we just declare that once again. And we pray this in your great name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Josh. Well, well, now we're going to come to this time in our service where we open up the Bible, we learn what it says, how it applies to us, how it is meant to change our lives. And so if you put a Bible away, take it out again. We're back in Ecclesiastes. Can you believe it? We started this whole book back in January, which I don't know about you, I feel like that was forever ago. An awful lot has happened since we began our book series through Ecclesiastes in January. But today, uh, we're wrapping the whole thing up. We are now coming to an end with the last section in the book of Ecclesiastes. And this passage in particular is addressed constantly to young people. You notice when you were having it read for you, uh, the word youth or the time of youth keeps coming up. Uh, So here's a question. How do you know if you are part of the young people uh, that King Solomon wants to speak these words to? Answer, you are not yet old. That's the answer that he's going to give, because in chapter 12, he is going to describe the kind of debilitating effects of old age, and he's going to use all kinds of amazing pictures, but he's going to talk about how as you get older, you lose your teeth, you lose your hearing, uh, you lose your sight, and even walking up a few stairs can be a very scary and dangerous thing to do. So in the first place, this passage is addressed directly to young people. So let's just say, you know, people under the age of 30, what we would normally describe as that time of youthful strength. But this passage also applies to everyone over 30 as well because our youthful strength does not just leave us instantaneously, uh, typically anyways. Uh, Normally, it kind of slowly wanes over time. And so as long as you have some youthful strength left in you, even a little bit, this passage has something to say to you. So this passage is for everyone, but it is particularly for those we normally think of as young. So, if you've lost a whole bunch of your teeth over your lifetime, this passage has something to say to you, but if you just got your adult teeth, this passage has everything to say to you. Uh, If you have some trouble going up a flight of two or three stairs, but you can still get up two or three stairs, this passage has something to say to you. But if you can sprint up and down a very long flight of stairs, 
everything about this passage is for you. So here's the question. What does King Solomon want to say to all of us with our youthful strength and particularly to those who are young? The answer is, life is short. Learn to live wisely while you still can. He wants you to grow in wisdom, particularly the younger you are, he wants you to grow in wisdom so you won't make a bunch of stupid mistakes in your life. He wants you to be wise from the outset and live your life properly. And living wisely before it's too late, he says, has three things involved in it. First of all, to live wisely, he says, you need to enjoy your life while you are still young. Then secondly, he says, you need to serve God while you still have some strength. And then finally, he's going to say, you need to fear God while you still have breath. So those are the three things. So today, what we're going to do is learn to live wisely as we wrap up this entire book for everyone, but particularly for those who are, say, under 30 years old. Here's the very first thing that he's going to say to us. If you want to live wisely, you need to just simply enjoy your life while you are still young. Enjoy your life while you are still young. Throughout this series, I've tried to argue that we misunderstand the book of Ecclesiastes. If we think of it as uh, a, a guy who's a pessimist, who, who just says all of life is terrible, it's all meaningless and dark, I've tried to argue that this is a misunderstanding of the book of Ecclesiastes. Of course, Solomon, the author of Ecclesiastes, is very realistic about how hard life can be. We have seen that. But we also seen that he is constantly, throughout this whole book, there's been these many conclusions where he calls us to enjoy life. And now, once again, for the seventh and final time, he calls us to rejoice. And he begins by speaking to all of us, regardless of our age. So look with me at chapter 11 and verses 7 to 8. He says this, "'Light is sweet.'" And it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes, he says, is, what's the word? It says vanity here, but there it is, hevel. We've learned this word throughout the entire series. Now, these verses, verses 7 and 8, really what they do is they capture all of life from the cradle all the way to the grave. And what's fascinating about them is that Solomon is here not, he's clearly not a pessimist who thinks that all of life is dark and meaningless and full of despair. He's not that. But on the other hand, he is also not some sort of naive optimist uh, who thinks that, in the words of a cartoon that kids and I watched just this week, that all of life is just cupcakes and rainbows. He's not that kind of a person either. No, he is a, a wise man, and he says, you need to have realistic expectations about life. You need, to, you need to begin life with very realistic expectations. And what should you expect from life? Solomon says you should expect that you will have sunny days, where the light is sweet and you're enjoying your life. These are the kind of days you need to rejoice in, but you should also expect that there are going to be dark days. But notice in this passage here, the dominant note is to rejoice when days are good. That's his call. Rejoice. Enjoy the sweet moments of life. Enjoy that beautiful sunset. We had a few of those this week. Enjoy your hobbies. Enjoy your kids. Enjoy your grandkids. You need to rejoice in all the good moments of life, even during something like COVID-19, because, as we've now learned with COVID-19, 
Things can change very quickly. Oh, days are not totally dark right now, but obviously a shadow has come over all of our lives. They're not as bright as they once were. And so we need to learn from this. What he's saying is have proper expectations about life. There will be good times. There will be bad times. Rejoice whenever you have good times. Why? Because he summarizes it in this word we've been looking at all along. He says, all that will come to you in life at the end of verse 8 is hevel. This is the Hebrew word. And as we've been learning throughout this series, hevel simply means breath. It means vapor. And what he is saying again here is that there are moments in life when if you want to be a wise person, you'll rejoice when the moments are good because those moments, like a breath, are fleeting And, here's the flip side, when there's a shadow over your life, when you're in dark days, you can also remember that those moments are hevel. They are fleeting. So to live wisely, if you want to begin your life well, if you want to think about life properly, you should think of all of life like a breath and that everything is fleeting. When moments are good, you've got to rejoice in them because they can be fleeting. But also, you don't despair when times are dark because even those moments are also like a breath fleeting. So far then, he's just simply addressing everyone regardless of age. But now let's dig in a little bit deeper, and he turns now to directly speak to young people. Look with me at verses 9 and 10. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment." Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are, again, fleeting. They are hevel. They are fleeting. So these verses, they really aren't complicated. I don't think they require any explanation. They're simply saying to us that young people, while you have your youthful strength, you need to enjoy it because youth, as he says at the end, is vanity. It is hevel. It is fleeting. Soon enough, you will not have your youthfulness anymore. So, young people, this is a great application. Just listen to this. This is what he's saying. God has given you your life. God has given you this world to live in. And you should rejoice in it and you should enjoy your life. That is the emphasis of this passage. And you need to do this while you're young. So right now, a lot of this is obviously being boxed in. We can't enjoy everything that we want. But if you're young, maybe this is a time to reflect. What are some things that you want to do in life? When this whole thing is over, what do you want to do? What kind of things could you enjoy with the life God has given you? Maybe you want to play sports. Maybe you want to learn an instrument. Maybe you want to hike the West Coast Trail. Maybe you want to study a certain subject, do a bunch of degrees, and become an expert in a field so that you can help people. What this passage is saying is you need to do this while you're young because a day will come when you will not be able to run and jump and play sports. A day will come when you will not have the dexterity to play a musical instrument. A day will come when you won't be able to do a a rigorous hike like the West Coast Trail. And a day will come when you won't be able to study for very long periods of time. So right away then, he's saying, enjoy your life. But we got to clarify something here. Look with me again at verse 9. This little phrase in here. He says to young people, walk in the ways of your heart, and the sight of your eyes. Now, some might misinterpret this. They might say, Solomon's saying you can do whatever you want, anything at all. Just go out and enjoy life. That's, it's, it's really, it's a call to hedonism is the word. A life of pleasure doing whatever you want. 
But notice, again, if you look a little closely, he follows that up with, just know that all the things that you do, you're going to have to give an account to God for them. So in other words, this is not a text saying, just do anything that you want. No, it's a text that is saying, yes, enjoy your life. Yes, enjoy all that God has given you, but make sure that you're doing it in relationship with him. Make sure that you're doing it within the boundaries that he has given you. His rules for you are not meant to ruin your fun. They're meant to lead to greater joy, for they're only meant for your good. But here, back up. This is what I really want you to see here, particularly if you are young. This is a command of God. God has commanded you to enjoy your life. (laughs) Does that strike you as a little bit odd? I don't think we hear this very much. We often hear commands about what we cannot do, but I want you to notice here that if you are wanting to follow Jesus Christ, part of what that means is you're commanded to, to enjoy the life that God has given you. This, I think, is fantastic because joy is at the very center of Christianity. Joy. I don't think we hear enough about this. And yet, all through the Bible, we see this. There's a wonderful essay by a man named Douglas Jones. And what he argues in the essay is that cultures that have uh, been kind of Christianized, a lot of Christian influence, he says that when they've often failed, it's not because they have somehow uh, just bought into bad teachings, it's not because they've had weak leaders or things like that. He argues that the reason why these cultures who've been Christianized have ultimately failed is because of a lack of joy. Very interesting. Then he reflects on Deuteronomy chapters 27 to 30. And if you know the book of Deuteronomy, it's called the book of the law. And he goes back to the book of the law and he tries to show this from there. And he specifically gets into the heart of the law in Deuteronomy 28 and verse 47, where God says to Israel that he's going to turn them over to their enemies. Why is he going to do that? Oh yeah, it's why you think it's for the sins that they have committed. But here's what I want us to see, that there is a sin under the sin. And this sin is not what you'd think. Look at what Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 47 says. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and the gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things. God has given you tremendous abundance. And because you did not serve him with joy and gladness, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you. In other words, it is a great sin when God has filled your life with abundance not to overflow with joy with your life and to serve your creator with a heart of gladness. This is kind of the sin under the sin. When they lost their joy in who God is and in all he had given them, that's when they were going off track. Joy is what the Bible calls us to do. Joy is to be a mark of God's people. And just Think back over the entire Bible story. This is how the entire Bible begins, Genesis chapters 1 and 2. God makes the planet Earth for human beings to live on. He doesn't put us on Mars with spacesuits and like no water sources and say, all right, guys, try to figure it out. Be a terrible, it might be fun to visit Mars, but that's not a place you really want to live. No, he puts us on planet Earth. He fills it with life. And then he does not just put us in, in, out in a desert. Where does he put them? Adam and Eve. He puts them in a garden, not a desert. 
And then does he make Adam and Eve beg for food and say, please, how are we going to eat and leave them for days without food? No, he fills the entire garden with fruit trees that they can eat from any time they want. He doesn't make them walk 10 miles to go get water and exhaust themselves. He puts a giant river right through the center of the garden that splits off into four rivers. They can drink when they want. They can eat whenever they want. Not only that, he does not leave Adam alone in total social isolation. No, he gives him a wife, a companion, a friend in Eve. In other words, God fills their lives with abundance. He fills their lives with good gifts, and he says, this is all good, and it's all for you to enjoy. It's my gift to you. Enjoy your life with gladness of heart. Then go along a little bit just in the Old Testament story. Think of the nation of Israel. Israel, God gives them an entire annual calendar, things he wants them to observe every few months. That annual calendar involves things like fasting and feasting, eating no food, eating lots of food. Now, here's a question for you. In that annual calendar, what is there more of, fasting or feasting? What do you think? Feasting. In fact, the nation of Israel was only commanded by God to fast for only one day in the entire year. That's not a lot to ask. And yet every few months, God proclaimed that they needed to come together to have a feast. And this was just like the Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of the Passover, Feast of Booths. And do you know what these feasts were? They were basically week-long parties. And I'm not even exaggerating. I'm literally meaning this when I say there were giant barbecues. They were to cook up a whole lot of meat. They were supposed to cook a lot of food. And for a week, they were to party. They were to sing. They were to dance. They were to rejoice in God, their Savior, who had brought them out of slavery in Egypt. And they were to be filled with gladness of heart. God created a whole annual calendar around feasting, around joy, around the abundance that he had given them. Oh, how different this is from how so many of us view God, and particularly when you're young. It is a particular problem amongst young people and amongst the entire human race that we think that God is a hard master, that He is the kind of God who is out to ruin all of human fun, that he is out to ruin our happiness and joy, that if we truly followed him with all of our hearts, it would take away our joy. And so we think, i got to go have fun, and then maybe when I'm older I'll consider things like religion. But right now I want to enjoy life. No. Listen, this is the great lie that the human race has believed since the serpent in the beginning. This is the lie of the serpent in the garden. For the serpent came to Adam and Eve and said to them, why has God given you this rule that you cannot eat from this tree? What he was insinuating was that God does not really want you to be happy, that God is withholding things from you. If you just rebelled against God and you went your own way, you would discover a happiness that you can never get if you keep following your creator. This lie, like a poison, sunk into Adam and Eve's souls. And it has come into all of our souls. It is the original lie that God, our Creator, is not really looking out for our best interests. And yet how obvious it should have been to Adam and Eve. I mean, they were sitting there in a garden filled with food, filled with water. They walk and talk with God all of the time. And the command that God gave them wasn't exactly hard to obey. 
I mean, if God had given them, let's say, the one command that they had to follow, let's say God said, here's a 50-pound rock. The two of you somehow need to carry it to the top of a mountain, like, say, Mount Finlayson. You need to do that every single day. That would be a little bit hard to accomplish. But the command was, just don't eat from that one tree. You got millions of other ones. Go ahead and enjoy them. And yet, they were infected with the poison of the lie that God was not really out for their best interests. And so they ate the fruit, and they did not discover the happiness they were looking for. This is the lie that we got to get out of our souls. we got to draw the poison out of us. We draw it out simply by reflecting on Genesis 1 and 2, that our Creator is good and has filled our lives with abundance. We, we draw this poison out by reflecting on the fact that God, our Father, gave up His only Son so that He could give us all things. What, if a God doesn't care about our happiness, why would He give up His one and only Son for us? Listen, particularly if you are young, Your creator has filled your life with abundance. He has given you your life and breath and everything else. He has given you Jesus Christ, his death on the cross in order that you might know him for all of eternity. Do not buy into the lie that following God will ruin your life. Rather, it will lead you to your greatest joy. So this is how Solomon begins. He says, young people and everyone, God as your creator wants you to live wisely. And to live wisely means you have proper expectations for life, and having proper expectation means you enjoy your life while you still can. While you still are young, enjoy what he has given you. That's the first thing about living wisely. Now, here's the second thing we want to turn to talk about. Secondly, serve God while you still have strength. So enjoy God while you're still young. Now secondly, serve God while you still have strength. Look with me now at chapter 12 and verse 1. Here's what it says. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. Just stop there for a minute. This is very simple again. This word creator, of course, reminds you that God made you. God gives you your physical strength. And when you're young, listen, here's another thing for those of you who are young. This is a very particular point. When you are young, it is very easy to enjoy all the gifts of God, but to forget about God himself. To enjoy his gifts, but to not focus on the giver. To say, ah, what a wonderful world, what a great life I have. But to forget about your creator who gives them all to you. And this verse is saying, no, don't do that. Even while you are young, remember your creator in the days of your youth. And that doesn't just mean remember that God exists and you know, then go on with your life. Remember means to live every day in the knowledge that God exists, to follow him, to use your life to serve him. So why should you do this while you are still young? Why the focus on young people? Because your youthful strength is quickly going to turn into old age. Look with me again at verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And now from here all the way to the end of verse 7, he is going to describe the debilitating effects of old age. This is an incredible passage. We're going to walk through it. You're going to have to really stick with me because there's so many little phrases here. So really follow along with me. But here's what you got to just remember the big point is. The big point is, 
Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Use your strength to serve him now because all of these future days are going to come upon you. All this old age is going to come upon you. And don't take this as an insult to old age. He's not talking here about the joys of old age, of which there are many. He is here emphasizing that old age makes us lose our strength and our vitality gradually over time. So nobody should be insulted by what he's talking about here with old age. So let's pick this up now as he begins now to talk about what it is like as we get older, why we need to serve God while we're young. So verse 2, well verse 1 begins with, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Why should you do that? Now look at verse 2, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. When you are young, life is filled with many sunny days. And even when a storm comes in your life, you're probably going to have many more sunny days on the other side of the storm. In other words, you may face setbacks in life, but they're not usually disasters. They can be, but not usually. But in old age, he's describing old age here like a storm. It's a storm that comes into your life, but even when that storm passes, rather than enjoying a long period of sunshine again, another storm comes, and another storm comes. And oftentimes, older people experience this. They experience one setback after another. So they fall and break their hip, and then they're sick for a little while, and then one of their friends dies and they're attending a funeral, and there can just be one setback after another, and some of them can have disastrous consequences. Notice also, this is fascinating. Follow carefully on this one. All this language is taken from Genesis chapters 1 and 2. God is our creator. God is the one who made the sun. He made the light. He made the moon. He made the stars. And he is the one who made the rain. But listen, what we have here in this passage and as we go on is the unmaking of creation. What we're going to see here is that because human sin came into the world, death also came into the world. And the aging process is really kind of the unmaking of us all. The unmaking of creation, the unmaking of every single human being. So now track with me as he goes through this list of what it's like now to age, remembering that the big point here is to serve God while you still have strength. So look at verse 3. It now describes an old man's body like a house, like a house that is falling apart. Look at verse 3. You remember the creator in the days of your youth because a day is coming when the keepers of the house will tremble and the strong men are bent. So what is that referring to? What are the keepers of a man's house, the keepers of his body? It's probably a reference to his hands. He keeps, he guards his house. That is, he can defend himself if he has to. And in these parts of him that are bent could probably maybe be his back. It could be his legs. They used to be strong, but now they're bent over all the time. So what we have here is a picture where a young man used to go to the gym. He'd curl weights. He was really strong, all this kind of stuff. Now he's an older man. His hands are now trembling. He cannot defend himself. He does not have the strength that he once had. So young people, while you have physical strength, You are to serve your creator, remembering him in the days of your youth. Now look at the second half of verse 3. It says, And the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed. Amazing poetry again. What are the grinders? What do you think those are? Teeth. They're your molars. They grind your food together. But without dental care in the old days especially, 
An older man was left with very few teeth. He could no longer chew his food. Or you look at, of course, you're looking through windows, but the windows are dimmed. They have kind of a gloss over them. What do you think that's referring to? It's your eyesight. You no longer can see as clearly as you used to. I remember some of my earliest memories was going to visit my grandpa and grandma Preeb, and they died when I was quite young, but I'll never just forget some of my earliest memories of my grandfather sitting there at breakfast, and my grandmother's having to feed him toast, and he's just kind of gently gnawing down on the toast. And then after he passed away, and we go visit my grandmother, and I always see a giant magnifying glass on the, on the coffee table, and I thought, man, that's what we use to kill ants with, with the sun. I mean, that's what, that's what we use a magnifying glass for. But of course, she was using the magnifying glass so she could read her hymn book and she could do her crossword puzzles. The grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed. Look at verse 4. And the doors on the street are shut. Why do we close a door? We close a door to shut out noise. And so what we have here is an old man's ears are now shut like a door. He cannot hear so well anymore like he used to. Or look at the second half of verse 4. And one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. In other words, one day you were a teenage boy who could sleep until noon, nothing would wake you, not even a freight train going through your bedroom. But now you're an old man and you wake up at 3.30 in the morning because a bird chirped outside your window. Or there's a female version here. One day you're, you're a young woman with a beautiful singing voice, and everyone loves to hear you sing. But the next day, you're an older woman, and that beautiful singing voice, you cannot hit those notes anymore. That great voice has been brought low. What he's saying is all this is going to come upon us. We are all being gradually unmade. And so we need to serve God while we still have strength. And now what he does is he gives seven rapid-fire descriptions of the aging process. So follow quickly with me now. Verse 5, he says, They are afraid also of what is high. As older people, they're afraid of what is high, and terrors are in the way. In other words, an older person, when they stand at the top of a stairs now, now there's terror. They're, they're afraid of standing up at a high place and having to go down. Where when they're younger, they stand on the top of a mountain. They stand near the edge of a cliff, taking in the whole view. Now just standing at stairs makes them afraid. And of course, something like terrors are in the way. Even walking down a sidewalk, there could be a bump in the sidewalk. And that now has become a terror with the aging process. Look at the second half of verse 5. The almond tree blossoms, that is, the hair turns white. Some of us, I don't know, the almond blossoms just seem to fall off and there's nothing left up here. Then notice also this, I like this next one. The grasshopper drags itself along. That one really hit home to me. A uh, grasshopper, of course, is really known for how high it can jump. When I played college basketball back in the day, way back, I'm all washed up now. Uh, but when I used to play at a 34-inch vertical, I could dunk the basketball in ways that everyone would go, ooh and ah. Now, next week, I'm turning, a few weeks from now, I'm turning 44. I cannot dunk a basketball. I'm not even sure if I can touch the rim anymore. I'm embarrassed to even try to see if I can touch the rim anymore. And of course, as time goes along, my legs, my grasshopper legs are slowing down. They're slowing more, and a day will come, perhaps, when I will need a walker or even a wheelchair because this grasshopper's legs no longer have any jump left in them. Then look at the next one. Desire fails. 
The literal translation of this is, and the caperberry fails. It's a good translation, but it literally is caperberry fails. Caperberries were used to stimulate the appetite for food, and they were also used as an aphrodisiac to stimulate sexual desire. And so where a person is young and they have great appetite to eat and they have a sexual desire, as they get older, those desires begin to fail. And then the end begins to draw near in verse 5. Look at verse 5 at the end of it. Because man is going to his eternal home and mourners go about the street. Now for all the difficulties of this aging process, here is an encouraging word. It's describing the aging process just like we've said as the gradual loss of strength and vitality. But it's like a long journey. But the good news of the Bible is... That journey does not end in complete oblivion. It does not end with a cliff where we cease to exist. It does not end in reincarnation. Rather, it ends, Solomon says, as man comes to the end of his journey exhausted, but he comes to his eternal home. And even as we come to our close to our eternal home, those whom we love go out and mourn for us as each of us dies. And then he describes the moment of death itself. Some of the most poetic descriptions in all of literature. Look at these incredible images. We must serve God with strength. Look at verse 6. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken. What an image. Life here is described like a precious silver cord that holds up a golden bowl. And in ancient times, this golden bowl would add oil in it and a little flame to light up the house. So you'd hang it there. Death is here described as this silver cord, this precious cord snapping, the bowl falling to the ground, shattering, the oil is spilled out, there is no more life left. Look at the next description. Or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain. So life is here like water, which you take a pitcher, you put it under a beautiful fountain, a delicious water coming out of it, but then that somehow that pitcher is dropped and it shatters on the ground and all the water spills out. All the life now is gone. And one more description. Or the wheel is broken at the cistern. That is the wheel that brings up the water from down below. That wheel breaks and no more water can now be brought up to the top. In other words, what you can see throughout this passage is that all of us are slowly being unmade. The the aging process is the gradual unmaking of us, for we came from the dust. And now look at verse 7 for the final description. And dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. And this now brings Solomon to the end of his speech. He's going to give us a postscript in the speech, but this is actually the end of the speech. At the very beginning of Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 1, there was an opening introduction. There's going to be a, late, uh, a, a final uh, conclusion at the end. But in between is the speech. The speech began with very specific words, and it's going to end with very specific words. In fact, it's going to end with the exact same words that it began with. But before he gives these words, he gives this whole description of the aging process, and he does it so graphically. But remember, he does it for just one reason. Here's the reason to urge you as young people to use your strength, to use all that God has given you before it's too late. 
before you are unmade. And to remind you once again, at the very end of his speech, he concludes with the exact same words he began the speech with in chapter 1 and verse 2, but here's how he ends the speech in verse 8, where he again says, Hevel, Hevel, says the preacher, all is Hevel. Breath, breath, everything is breath. Fleeting, fleeting, everything is fleeting. Temporary, temporary, everything is temporary. This is reality. This is what we must come to grips with. And we got to live our lives in light of that fact, which means enjoying your life while you're still young, but even more importantly, serving your creator while you have strength. So if you're a younger person listening to this, Pay careful attention to me right now. Listen to my words, please. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it. Your creator has given you life and breath and everything else. Use your life for his glory. Figure out how you can use how God's made you with your unique gifts and talents. Figure out how you can serve him. Do it while you're young. Don't wait till you're older. But how about for those of you who are maybe over 40? You say, well, okay, that's for young people. But listen, as we've said all along, if you still have some youthfulness left in you, which we, we all do, I mean, I might be turning 44, but I got to be honest, I'm, I feel like I've slipped a little, um, but I still got lots left by God's grace, maybe another 30, 40 years. We are to use all of our youthful strength, whatever we've got left, to serve our Creator. So listen, some of you are in your 50s and your 60s. You are at the height of your wisdom and your experience. How can you use all of that for God and for His glory? You're at the height of your earning potential in your life. How can you use the material wealth that He has given you in order to invest in His kingdom? How can you use all the experience that you have gained over the years now to serve God while you still have strength. That is what this passage is about. Serve God while you still have strength. Technically, the speech ends here, but he wants to go on and summarize. Some people think this is a narrator summarizing at the end. Some people think it's Solomon. I don't think it really matters, quite frankly. But having called us to enjoy our life while we are still young, and to serve God while we still have strength, he wraps everything up and concludes by saying this, that we need to fear God while you still have breath. Fear God while you still have breath. So look with me down to the very end of the book now, chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. To live wisely means to fear God. We did a whole sermon on this, I think it was back in chapter 5, so I'm not going to get into this in a big way right now. You can go back and listen to that one. But to fear God does not mean to stand in terror of God. It means that you, the existence of your Creator it has a controlling, a governing effect on every single part of your life. That God exists, that you stand in awe of Him, affects everything from how you talk to what you think about to the entertainment that you watch to all the things that you invest in. The existence of God governs and controls all of those things. This is the whole duty of man, to live all of life before our Creator. For one day we will all stand before Him to give an account of our lives. So that is how he wraps up the book. And let me now wrap up the entire series. 
I hope that you've seen throughout this series that Ecclesiastes is it's not a depressing book. It's not a book about a guy who's a cynic who thinks all of life is meaningless without God. And if we just, you know, figured that out and follow God, then life would have meaning. That's not what the point of this book is about. This is rather the wisdom of King Solomon. Solomon, who was the wisest man to ever live before Jesus. And the wisest man to ever live before Jesus, what he's been doing for us is he's been giving us a very kind of realistic picture of life. He wants you to understand life properly. And to understand life properly, he's given us that one word, that all of life is hevel. All of life is a breath. That life, like a breath, is fleeting. That life, like a breath, is not something that you can control. You need to be wise in how you live, but you need to live in light of this reality. And so the wise person faces reality as it is. The wise person lives all their life before God, enjoying every single moment that God gives them. The wise person uses their life to do good for others. The wise person, though, also groans as our bodies deteriorate, as we are slowly being unmade through the dying process because sin has brought death into the world. And then the wise person concludes by saying all of life is temporary, but we are going to our eternal home where God will welcome us. And then as we come to the New Testament, we see that Jesus is the ultimate answer to this entire book of Ecclesiastes. Oh yes, sin brought death into the world. Oh yes, we are all being unmade and we groan in our bodies. But why did Jesus come? Jesus came to remake all that sin and death are unmaking. He comes to remake all that is being unmade, to reverse that process. This is why Jesus came. Jesus came, first of all, to remake your relationship with God and mine, for we are cut off from our maker because of our sin. But he comes to bring us back together through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Listen, we do not want to have to stand before God on judgment day and be condemned for our sins. For we will all stand before God. But the good news of Jesus Christ is that you can stand before God and not be condemned. If you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Make me right with God. The scriptures say you will not be condemned and you need not fear that great judgment day. For Jesus comes in the first place to remake our relationship with God. But he also comes to remake the unmaking of our bodies. The day is coming when Jesus is going to return, and on that day the Scriptures say God is going to raise all of Jesus' people from the dead. And he says he's going to give them resurrection bodies, immortal bodies, bodies of strength and power and vitality. In other words, Jesus Christ has the power to remake the silver cord that has been snapped, to remake the bowl that has been shattered, to put the water back in, to give us what he calls eternal life, eternal life in immortal bodies. And so a particular word to those of us in our church who are older and we felt that your, your bodies have been deteriorating, listen, a day is coming. Oh, listen to this. A day is coming when you will once again sprint up a flight of stairs, when you will stand before a mountain and you will laugh because of the body that you now have and you will sing songs that will even make angels weep. A day is coming when Jesus returns and he will give all those who belong to Jesus remade bodies. And then finally, Jesus will also bring his people to live with God on a newly remade earth. 
A day is coming when we will live in a world that is no longer hevel. A world that where is no longer fleeting, where, we, where things are out of our control. A world where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Life here is fleeting. Life there will be eternal. In the meantime, as we await the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we learn to live wisely in this life under the sun, life on planet earth. And living wisely according to our passage today means this. Enjoy your life while you are still young. Serve God while you still have strength. And fear God while you still have breath. Let's pray together. Father, we long for that day when Jesus will return and make all things right. We say, come Lord Jesus. What a glorious day that will be. But how grateful we are that in this life, all that we do for you will last all that is done in your name, even if things crumble, we want to see you glorified. Even if COVID causes all these problems for us, we're praying that you would be glorified, that people's lives would be given to you. For you are so worthy of all praise and all honor and all glory. Enable us during these days to reflect on what life could be like on the other side of COVID and how we can even use our lives right now to serve you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.